A house explosion in Calgary injures 10 people. Two Auditor General reports to tell you about this morning. Canada appeals a judge's decision saying that the country must repatriate four men in a Kurdish prison in Syria and breaking news out of a migrant detention facility in Ciudad Juarez this morning as 39 people at least are dead after an explosion. Good morning. It's Tuesday, March 28th. I'm Nora and here are your headlines. An explosion tore through the Marlboro neighborhood in northeast Calgary yesterday morning, injuring at least 10 people. Most of the injured people were inside of the home when it exploded, and six of the survivors had life-threatening injuries, according to officials. The piece for CBC by Jonathan Sharp doesn't say who the officials are, though. The explosion was so brutal that the home's structural integrity has stopped crews from finding any other victims. The explosion damaged two neighboring homes and sparked adjacent fires. And there's no news on the cause of the explosion. Now, if you're curious about a short history of house explosions, here is what I found. Just last week, on March 20th, a house explosion in Windsor completely leveled a house. A man was charged with arson. The man who lit the fire was the only one injured and neighboring homes were damaged. There was no more news than this, except that the man was from Toronto. And at the start of the year in Orleans, near Ottawa, several houses were leveled after an explosion. The houses were uninhabited under construction. Two people were pulled from the rubble and 12 total were injured. That was determined to be a criminal matter at the end of February. In 2020, a house explosion in Scugog, Ontario, was the result of an open propane tank and a house fire. No one was home, but the explosion happened when fire crews were on the scene and several were injured as a result. Another one in Guelph in 2020 due to a gas line explosion. One occupant of the house and her dog managed to escape with few injuries. And in 2016, a house exploded in Mississauga. A couple was killed in that explosion and their house was leveled and 12 others were injured. It was determined that that explosion was deliberate, a murder-suicide set by the man who lived at the residence. A new report from Canada's Auditor General Karen Hogan has found that about two-thirds of disabled passengers quote-unquote encountered barriers on planes and trains in 2019 and 2020, reports the Canadian Press. The audit looked at Via Rail, the Canadian Transportation Agency, and CATSA, the Air Transport Security Authority. The list of issues identified by the Canadian press of this report included booking sites that are not fully accessible, like having the wrong departure time read by a screen reader at the Via Rail website. Now, it's useful to note that of the groups targeted, you have Via Rail, who is directly targeted as it is a crown corporation, and the Canadian Transportation Agency, which is a body that oversees commercial flight in Canada. Right there, without a direct link from the company itself to the federal government like Via Rail, it meant that the agency acts as a middleman between the airlines and and government. So rather than having crown corporations in air, you have this agency that oversees airline companies. There has been some accessibility improvements, Hogan points out, like more accessible locations for working dogs to go to the bathroom at airports, but there are still far too many gaps. 
At the Canadian Transportation Agency, there are only four employees whose jobs are to track and enforce more than 450 accessibility rules for more than 130 companies. I mean, there's your problem right there. That's impossible, like literally impossible for four employees to pay that close attention to 130 companies and more than 450 accessibility rules. And with COVID, much of the inspections became virtual, making going to physically witness barriers impossible. Minister Omar Al-Gabra, who funds the Canadian Transportation Agency directly and who can insist that they multiply their enforcement officers by 10 or 15 or 20, he said this to the Canadian press, quote, I expect airlines to abide by our regulation. I expect the airlines to comply with the law and I expect the CTA to enforce these laws. Mm-hmm. He expects this because what he missed how capitalism operates. As I talked about yesterday with Airbnb, we know what the problems are here. But if you have only four agents at the CTA responsible for watching over 130 airlines, that means the airlines are effectively policing themselves. That is going to create the situation that Canada is in. Now to another Auditor General story. Karen Hogan also released a report into how Global Affairs Canada has been spending money to improve gender equity in low and middle income countries. She has found that Canada can't actually explain how the $3.5 billion they've given out to improve the lives of women and girls has actually improved the lives of women and girls. The Globe and Mail reports that this assistance was released in 2017, and because I wrote about it in my book, Take Back the Fight, I recall that they did this with great fanfare. The plan was announced on International Women's Day that year and was hailed as being proof of the Trudeau government's feminist bona fides. Except six years later, Hogan's audit has found that there are quote-unquote significant weaknesses in how the department manages these files. This has led to quote, incomplete or missing project files, unquote. She wrote that the state of the information made it impossible to see if the funding met their intended goal. Hogan also found that global affairs, quote, did not meet two of its three spending commitments under the policy, falling short on funding projects that directly supported the empowerment of women and girls or that were located in sub-Saharan Africa. It was clear that the announcement in 2017 was like 75% bluster and at least, well, I guess it's satisfying, though deeply depressing to see proof of this now. Feminist Prime Minister indeed. And finally, after being told by a federal judge that Canada should request the repatriation of four men who are currently being held in a Syrian prison as soon as possible, the Canadian government has responded by saying no. They're appealing the judge's decision. The men have not been charged. Three of four of them are anonymous, but the fourth is John Letts, whose family has been fighting for him to be brought back to Canada. Outside of this court case, the lawyers for the men successfully negotiated to bring women and children related to the case back to Canada in January. Here's how the Canadian press's Jim Bronskill described the judge's decision. In his ruling, Brown said that the Canadian men are not able to return home quote, in part because their government seems to never have formally requested their patriation. They are not able to enjoy, quote, a meaningful exercise, unquote, of their charter right to enter Canada unless and until the federal government makes a formal request to the autonomous administration of North and East Syria on their behalf. He wrote, quote, Canada must make a formal request for the repatriation because otherwise the court is asked to construe the charter in an unreal world, quote, unquote. 
The federal government has argued that Justice Brown's decision was, quote unquote, expansive. It was too expansive and overstated the rights that Canadians have to return to Canada. The federal government was also frustrated that a judge had interfered with what the government says is their job to decide when to intervene on certain matters and supply passports. This is what the federal government said, as quoted by Bronskill. Quote, the mandatory actions fail to respect the proper role of the executive and prevent it from making necessary, timely and individualized assessments within its expertise about a range of complex considerations, unquote. Ah, yes, because when a Canadian is held in a foreign prison without charge and is experiencing cruel and unusual punishment, Canadians are better off when the decision about whether or not to rescue them lies with the executive alone. God help anyone who is detained internationally and whose name isn't Michael, I guess. And finally, I'm just going to mention some breaking news out of the United States. In Ciudad Juarez, at least 39 people have been killed in a fire. The facility that they were being held at was a dormitory at an immigration detention center near the U.S. border. In addition to the 39 people who've died, 29 were injured in the fire, and it broke out last night at about 10 o'clock p.m., Ciudad Juarez is right across from El Paso, Texas, and is a major point of entry for people entering the United States. Those are your headlines for this morning. It is Tuesday, March 28th. I'm Nora, and folks, it is Sandy and Nora Day, so expect a new episode in a couple of hours.